Hello and welcome to episode 137 of the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast, where we discuss your 2022 Supporter Shield champions, the Los Angeles Football Club, bringing you stories match by match, game by game, fan by fan. Gentlemen, I screwed up the intro, but I don't care because I'm so elated because we are the 2022 Supporter Shield champions. Just let that sink in for a second. And I want your immediate reaction before we get into anything else. Chris, go. Bro, it's good. I'm going to be honest. I was not sure that this was going to happen, right? Like you're always hopeful and you're optimistic and you're looking out for the opportunities. You know, LAFC can do their job. And as long as they handle business, like things should work out that way. But I mean, for Philadelphia to lose in the fashion that they lost against Charlotte and again with Pablo Cisniega, God bless San Pablo, like that man came up as a solid wall for us. And it was just amazing just the way it played out. And honestly, this is the exact way that we needed to move on into the playoffs. You know, you have a win like this influence and momentum is our way. We're going to handle business this weekend against Nashville and then just, you know, continue on into the playoffs. Yeah, immediate reaction. Yeah, I I expected to win the Supporter Shield even when Philly was doing super well. I think that was unsustainable. Law of averages said that they couldn't maintain that till the end of the season. And I thought they were peaking a little early. So I hope their slump continues. Although I want to beat good teams. The easier the teams, the easier it is for us to get the championship. But it'll be a long time until we play the East. But what I do agree with, with Chris is the way we won it uh, and we'll go into it and, and we go down the rundown of the previous match i just think a win like that to beat portland built a lot of character so I, i'm just excited I, I it's what i expected mid mid-season i know that we we had some slumps but we finally got it done and at least we had a game to spare so we can celebrate and not have a lot of pressure and anxiety at the stadium i looked I, at I... the previous episodes just as a quick fact episode 39 was titled Shield by Shield. And that was back in 2019. So it's almost 100 episodes for us celebrating and ha- and recording an episode. We should have found a reason to do two other episodes in between this one just to say it, was a- it would have been 100, but didn't play out that way. I believe I was the one who, after we had lost to San Jose and Houston, said that our hopes for the Shield may have slipped through our fingers. But uh, I agree, hope was there, right? As the quote goes, uh, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things. We had hope, but there was not a lot of people around the league that really thought LAFC were going to pull this off. No one thought, myself included, that Philadelphia was going to fall so poorly to Charlotte. And after that 4-0 trouncing, you know, things were looking good for us going into the game. So let's go ahead and dive into it before we, we've already completely let the cat out of the bag here. But uh, let's go ahead and talk about LAFC's 2-1 victory over the pesky pine trees of Portland. So in pregame, there was a lot of banter going back and forth. The starting 11 reflected some of that midweek banter. I know you gentlemen, like all the LAFC faithful out there, are listening to the Max and Vince podcast, the MVP show. Their interviews with LAFC players, at times a bit silly, but there is some great content in there as well too. And so when that pod came out midweek and you heard Giorgio Chiellini's comments about playing on turf, and to paraphrase what he said, he described it as unacceptable for this league to still have turf and that it was a massive issue and something that he would really like to see rectified if MLS is going to improve. When Kalini makes those kind of comments about playing on turf midweek, I think it was pretty clear that he was not going to be in the starting 11. 
So when the starting 11 does come out, it's pretty much LAFC's anticipated playoff roster. No Escobar with him still being out for concussion protocols and no Chiellini. But other than that, it was pretty much our core starting 11. But all the talk pregame was all about LAFC not wanting to play Bale and Chiellini on turf. And this conversation about how LAFC had lost 11 straight matches played on turf. Obviously, our numbers in the West away from the bank have not been great this year as well, too. And it seemed as though all the pundits were going to say that Portland was going to be taking home this W. And everyone seemed to think that uh, LAFC were going to have to wait till decision day if we were going to be supporters shield winners. So we get into the first half. First half was kind of a rough first 10 to 20 minutes for LAFC. Really seemed like we were struggling to get the ball out of our own end. A lot of uncontested long balls for Max that was just turning over possession. It was fairly one-way traffic for Portland coming at us. After about the 20th minute, I feel like we settled down. We figured out some passing. We started being able to get the ball out of our own defensive end. And it was fairly 50-50 going forward, but halftime ends in a deadlock. 51st minute coming out of the half. Carlitos, my goodness. We talked so much early on in this season about where are those left-footed curlers from that top corner of the box that Carlos had been known for. We got one a few weeks ago. We got another absolutely beautiful golazo assisted by Acosta from Vela. I have absolutely no idea how he gets that much space to get that shot off. I just, anytime he is in that position, I have no idea why a defender is not in his face, but for some reason, Carlos was given the space. He's able to get the shot off. It could not have been more inch perfect, even despite trickling off the tips of the keeper's fingers, finds its way in the back of the net. We're up one nil. All we have to do is just defensively see this one out. And we win ourselves a supporter shield. Alas, in the 81st minute, we had our defensive lap. I'm not entirely sure what happened to Hollingshead on the play because it was kind of hard to see on TV and on the replays. But somehow, in his corner of the field, we have Opoku playing the role of defender who's trying to stop the cross. And Opoku's a little slow, a little lackadaisical in getting in on the challenge. I don't know where Hollingshead or what his assignment was that had caused a rotation for Opoku to be there in the first place. But Opoku does not challenge the cross coming in. With that much space and time, they get an inch-perfect cross into the head of Espria, who finds the back of the net. Both Segura and Murillo are standing around looking at each other, not really understanding why the goal is in the back of the net. I was frustrated with Murillo. I felt like he had the opportunity to get in front of the pass. Segura had a little bit of an opportunity to get in front of the man and muscle him off it, but this team that has played so well in the second half this season surrenders a goal late in this game that for many of us made it feel like our chance at the shield may have slipped away. How many times have LAFC throughout the course of the past five years capitulated late and then we go to the bench, we throw in a couple extra strikers, in comes Cristian Teo, in comes Gareth Bale. We're now playing with, you know, four or five strikers out there on the pitch. We've seen this from LAFC many times before and we've never had that one signature moment. And here comes Jenny Buwanga, who has already proven himself to be the best third DP in the history of LAFC with one goal, his first goal, 95th minute. I have absolutely no idea why Chara does not kick this ball out of bounds. It looked like he had every opportunity to do so. He decides to play the man, not the ball. It does not work out. Nutmeg, pass the keeper, back of the net, 2-1 LAFC. 
we cruise to our second Supporters Shield victory since 2019. Gentlemen, your thoughts on the game. Chris, you went first last time. Chris, why don't you go first this time, brother? Yeah, I'll, I'll react first to, to Carlos's goal. I think there the pass was key because the way Kalen passed it to him, it looked like he was going to cross it, but he kind of gave him the gave everyone the eyes and a sharp pass. And Carlos obviously stopped it. He faked. And even though there was two defenders, I feel like within a few yards, he found the perfect like V between the two legs to lift over, find the angle. It's just vintage 2019 Carlos. So I want to take a moment and admire that. And then we we defended resolutely for 80 minutes and we had one slip up and Portland is, is hard to beat. So they took advantage of that one moment. They hit the crossbar at one point. You know, they, they really put pressure on us. And I was still proud of the team in the end on how resolutely and how committed we were. That was a perfect kind of way to have a game going into the playoffs. But of course, we need game changers. And we have one in Carlos Vela that everyone knows. And Chicho was being marked very well. So who is the one that is the unknown? Is Denny Buanga, right? It's hard to game plan for him. And the way he took you know, the game by the scruff of the neck, and got the ball and then his eyes lit up and this this is a moment for me to try something right i think we can defend but let me see if i can score and he took a chance he took three players in the keeper and put it in the back of the net it's just amazing 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 i think the pictures say it all the ones that were going in social media where was it your destiny awaits you and it's a, the picture behind him that ouija board i think they prayed to the wrong gods that day in terms of portland it was perfect for him to obviously be the best third dp we've ever had in terms of the heat of the moment or the big moment that needed to be had, being able to execute and get us the goal that we needed to clinch the shield. Does he qualify as a third DP? I mean, right now, really, like we only had two DPs with Carlos and Rodriguez and we shipped off Rodriguez and got in Buanga first, you know? So in my mind, he might actually be like a second DP and Teo would be the third DP. I don't know. Is that up for debate or are we just... No, technically you're right. But the third DP that's signed this year, second on the roster but then i guess that would make tail the fourth dp yeah <laughs> easy tanner easy i know right <laughs> i'm just saying I'm just saying anyways the game the match i thought that it was a little bit of karma you know i thought that that penalty should have been considered a penalty for lafc in the favor of lafc and the fact that we didn't get a penalty or a card or any kind of infraction other than the referee calling it as a um a goal kick a little oh, shot it was a corner that. kick Somehow. <laughs> and I didn't even think that was wrong, too. But anyway. Right. I, it, I just I don't see how it played out that way. But, uh, you know, karma was in our favor during this match. And, uh, you know, that move that the, the run that Denny Buanga had and being having it be his first goal with LAFC. I mean, that is talk about having a historic moment for a club, you know, just in and of itself. That's that's the kind of goal that lives in infamy you know, for a club, the the goal that puts you over the line to lift a shield. I think that that will go down as one of the more memorable goals in LAFC history for a few years to come. I completely agree with you. The pen call was complete dog. So complete dog. So right. And, and I mean that on multiple levels, read into it as you want. It should have been a pen or a red card and a foul outside the box, but the time that was wasted on one of the longest VAR no decisions we have ever seen. That time is what created the 95th minute to even happen in the first place for Denny Bowanga to score that goal. So as frustrated as we are at pro refs for taking 10 minutes to decide nothing, 
if it wasn't for that ridiculous amount of time it took them to not decide the penalty, we would not have had the 95th minute and we would not have had the Denny Buanga goal. So as much as I am frustrated at pro ref for doing pro ref things and not getting a very clear and obvious call right, it's only because they took that long that we were even given the opportunity for Buanga to score that goal. So as much as I want to shovel blame on pro ref, for even getting us in that situation in the first place. And what I was, I mean, clearly he got tripped up and I don't know how you trip someone from behind and it's not a foul either in or outside the box. I, you know, that's what I thought they were taking so long to figure out. I didn't think they were taking that long to just come on out and say no foul, but that time is what allowed Buanga the chance to put that goal in. And I think that's a little silver lining in the dark cloud that is pro ref that I haven't heard too many people talking about that particular perspective on it, that if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have had those minutes. So I think that's an important piece to throw in there on that penalty. Christian, what'd you think about the pen? No call. Well, first of all, it took too long. I think it should have been a penalty. I, don't know. I agree with everything you just said, but I do think that no call led to a no call on the other end. Cause that, that could have been a call also, to be honest with you. So at least there was consistency in this ref, which sometimes does not happen at all with pro. So I'll give him credit for that also. So yeah, that's that's how I feel about that. And the last thing I'll say for Denny, I'm happy for him because you could tell the last few games he was really pressing to score. And in this game, he had some chances and half chances that he didn't put away. And I think getting over the hump, hopefully it becomes something like when Chicho came last summer, it took him a few games to really unlock. But when he did, it, he became our top scorer for the season and almost saved our season last year just single-handedly. So if he's going to get hot after this because of his confidence being high, it's a perfect moment to do that. So I, I'm hopeful and I'm happy that that happened. All said and done at the end of the day, LAFC win 2-1. We collect the second supporter shield in the history of this club. CCL ticket had already been punched, but we now have the second piece of definitive hardware in the history of LAFC. Now there's a lot of conversation amongst a lot of people about what the value of the shield absolutely is. And I think it really kind of firmly divides the MLS community between people who pay attention to soccer in a worldwide perspective and people who really only pay attention to soccer in a United States perspective. And the United States perspective is you have to win MLS Cup, you have to win that postseason tournament and get that particular trophy if you're going to be the quote-unquote winner of the season. Whereas everywhere else in the world, the team with the best record at the end claims the biggest trophy. And if this were the Prem, the Bundesliga, you name it, insert league here, LAFC would be the title holders, the champion of the season. So I'll ask you, gentlemen, which trophy holds more value to you? Is it a supporter shield or is it an MLS Cup? The MLS Cup is really what matters the most in this league. And that's because of the way that this league is structured, right? Like that's how you get stars above your crest. Just because I say that the MLS Cup means more, that doesn't necessarily mean that the supporter shield is a lesser qualified trophy, right? Like I think that the supporter shield is worth way more than the US Open Cup. The way I would like to see it is that the MLS Cup is 1A and the Supporter Shield is 1B. They share similar amounts of value in the eyes of the MLS and around the world. But, you know, at the same time, I think that when you when the way our league is structured, you really have to have the tips fall in the way of the MLS Cup as opposed to the Supporter Shield. I think an idea is, you know, championships or cups get stars and like maybe a little circle that's metallic 
also as part of around the crest or on top of the crest next to the stars, just to give it some more value or some more recognition, or maybe on the sleeves. Because I, th- I still think it's an important piece of silverware, but I do agree that it's not as valuable or as important as the MLS Cup because it is the United States. And I will say this, I think it's more of a now become a American hemisphere thing, right? Because in Liga MX, it's playoffs. Getting the top spot before Ligia, I mean, that doesn't mean anything unless you, you win Apertura or Clausura and that's how you get a star. And then that's trickled down into Central America. And now there's pieces of that in, in South America. So I think some of the Americanisms of sport have been exported in this part of the world. Uh, the traditional, I, I agree, and the most valuable to the fan is, to me, this, this supporter shield. Because at least for, for how I feel is every time I go to the bank, I expect a win with LAFC every single year. And we have two shields out of five years to show that to the rest of the supporters around the country and the, the, the league. So it's very, very valuable, and it gets us now. I think what what's happened, and the MLS has recognized that now their structure around getting us supporters or the teams seeding or um, matches in the Champions League for reward or doing the home like no longer home and away. Just the higher you are, the more value there is in the in the regular season because I feel like now teams aren't sandbagging as much as they used to, unless you're Portland or Seattle. And just, you know, timing it so that you're healthy and clicking towards the end of the season. So I think they're, they've done a good job of trying to have their cake and eat it too. Long-winded of way of saying, I like this. I want the next thing. I know how this feels. We've got it, you know, and we got it again. I want to have a new sensation with a new piece of silverware. And I think that's the only thing that we don't have yet. And then after this is Champions League. Uh, that's the next feeling I want uh, once we get the, the, the cup. Yeah, they, they don't make championship rings for supporters' shield trophies, you know? So it's, I mean, the league just recognizes MLS Cup really as the the best overall award to be given. I mean, they do make supporters' shield rings, right? I mean, I have one right here sitting in my hand. But uh, nonetheless, I think the supporters' shield as an award took a massive hit from Don Garber when he set up the schedule where you don't play every team anymore. And and with the current league roster and, and lineup and schedule that we have where you're not playing a home and away leg against every other team in the league, that's a big hit to the shield, right? But it still matters a lot to have the best record at the end of the season and to win that hardware. But in our league, with the particular scheduling that we have now, it's hard-pressed to say that it holds the same weight as an MLS Cup. I would like, like you inferred, you know, to have some sort of crest or something change in order to show that a team won the shield, whether it's like a little silver outline that goes behind your crest to show a shield behind it or something like that, I think would be a nice touch. I don't think that's ever going to happen. It's going to be stars for cups and that's it. Moving on, a couple other things about this match. That is the 21st win, which sets an all-time record for most single season wins for LAFC. And Steve Chirundolo with his 21st win as a rookie head coach has more wins in the post shootout era than any other coach has had in their first season. He passes the 1998 Bob Bradley and the 1996 Thomas Rongen of the Tampa Bay mutiny. He is now the number one all time, most wins by a coach in their first season. Gentlemen, does this secure Chirondolo coach of the year? I would say yes, but here's okay. Somebody explain this to me. What is the point of putting the qualifier of post shootout era? Because I understand that Bob Bradley and Thomas Rongen had 
those wins with the shootouts, right? When there wasn't an availability of ties. And so they would have a declared winner after the the penalty shootouts. But I mean, I think that just saying, hey, Steve Trundolo has set the record for most wins by a a rookie head coach, period, right? That it's like, what difference does it make whether it was a shootout era or not, other than to say that his wins are even more valuable because there wasn't the shootout era. But I just, you know, that that qualifier just seems to that almost is like saying like taking away from the effort when really if you look into it it's like well that just means that his wins are even more of a successful node as opposed to just uh you know lesser version yeah i i I think that you hit the nail on the head right i mean when there was no ties it was much easier to get wins and points right so those records kind of have to be set aside because there was no draws, right? So that changes the whole metric whatsoever. But for Chirundolo to have set a new record, even including the eras, I do think that's important to say that even in years where there were no ties, he still has the most wins by a rookie head coach means something, right, Christian? Yeah, I'm I'm wondering if if uh, one wins were qualified slightly different or points were different. I don't remember. I mean, I watched MLS back then, but I know that in hockey, it's it's a little different. Nonetheless, I I do agree. Like, why why qualify it? Let's give it to him. He, he's winning outright in terms of wins anyway. Like it's it, you can just say post shootout era, or put an asterisk and have people read it after. I know that in baseball they do that a lot, but it's neither here nor there. The record's broken. It's done. So back to the question at hand: Does this give Steve Chirundolo Coach of the Year, Christian? It has to. Why wouldn't it? And who else has done better anyway, right? Rookie or not, who had the expectation himself after the match was uh, it was playoffs, right? He's exceeded his own metrics or LAFC's own metrics. Uh, he's been able to kind of bring in new players midseason and get in, get still get the results, right? Yes, we have a plethora of talent, but that doesn't mean it's going to be a cohesive team and get results and get the supporters shields, get the number one seed throughout the playoffs and have the expectations on them of MLS cup. That's still a lot to manage. And not every other coach could have done the same thing in the, in the league. I mean, I have to agree. I do. I think that, you know, what Steve Trundle has done in his first year, especially coming off of the experience that he had with the Las Vegas lights and how many naysayers there were at the beginning of the season, when they were looking at his ability to be qualified to be a coach at this level, I think that he has done an amazing job. And when you look at the talent that had been there at the beginning of the season, there wasn't a whole lot of changes at the beginning of this season from when Bob Bradley left last year, a couple of players here and there, but I think by and large, the the squads were fairly similar. And, you know, it's just I think that there was a that we always talked about it at the beginning of the season, the differences that Steve Trendolo had and how his coaching ability was versus Bob Bradley. And, you know, when the way this team was trending at the very beginning of the season, I think it was all in a positive way. Right. And that just goes to show you what his style of coaching is and how it's influences and impacted this club. Obviously you can't say the rosters are are the same now. I mean, they're drastically blown up from where they were even at the beginning of the season. But when you look at the early results at the beginning of the season, it was definitely, I would say a credit to his coaching style. I think you have to look at Josh Wolf and Austin and, you know, take a team that was as poor as Austin was last year. And, you know, they're second in the, the West, I think fourth in the league as a whole so far right now. What he's been able to do with Austin FC, I think is is someone who's going to get some votes. I think the real 
front runner for the award alongside Dolo would have to be Chris Albright and what he's done with FC Cincinnati, taking a team that was back-to-back wooden spoons and making them a playoff caliber team this year, a team that's qualified for the playoffs this year. I think that's going to be probably the front runner in many people's eyes who well, look curtain, at an LA curtain, Philly. Like he also has and, and Philadelphia with, you know, the 17th ranked payroll. And yet it took till the second to last week of the season for them to lose a shield. Um, those are all people that are going to get some looks. I, I think it hurts Dolo that he has so much star power on the team. I think that midsummer slide we had as he was integrating those new players was a knock against him as well, too. But now that he's set the record for most wins by a rookie head coach and won the shield in his first season, I think that this this last game is what puts him over the top, in my opinion. And that's why I think Dolo's going to win coach of the year. But I, I do think if it went to Austin, Philadelphia, or Cincinnati, none of that would really surprise me either. You know, look, the the coach that wins the supporter shield does not always get coach of the year. That's certainly not the way the voting has gone historically. So it, it really wouldn't surprise me there. So let's move on folks. LAFC have one more game. We're going to touch on that a little bit later. We do have an opponent correspondent this week. I don't think I mentioned that in the beginning because we were so elated about the fact that we were supporter shield winners, but we are going to talk about our upcoming game against Nashville, but I kind of want to look ahead to the playoffs because this game versus Nashville is, is really just, I mean, it means something to Nashville, I guess, you know, their seating could drop slightly depending on some other teams, but right now they're, they're pretty locked in in a four or five spots. Um, and if they're able to get a point or more versus LAFC, it's a guarantee they could slide down a little further. I don't know if that really hurts them. I mean, if I'm Nashville, I might want Dallas more than I want to play, you know, a Carson team that's, you know, looking pretty good with Pooch in there and, and, you know, going on the road there might be a little bit more travel for them than heading to Texas. So, you know, I, I don't really know, you know, for Nashville's perspective, how much they really care uh, about the results of this game. But in looking ahead to the playoffs, obviously the quote from Carlos Vela, the sentiment amongst most of us in the black and gold community is, of course, the job is not done. Three more wins, and then we'll start talking about the successes of this season, resting on the laurels of a supporter shield. Not enough for this fan base. So it has been announced that it looks like Thursday, October 20th, is going to be our playoff match at the bank. You know, many of us are disappointed that it is not going to be on a weekend. But uh, unless something changes, Thursday, October 20th, we play, well, it could be any number of four teams at this point. As the table currently sits, we would be playing the winner of Nashville and Carson. We could also be facing Portland or Minnesota, depending on how decision day works out. So my question to you gentlemen is between those four teams, Carson, Nashville, Portland, Minnesota, who do you want to face in the first round? Chris, your turn to go first. I think if you're looking at the four opponents, uh, I think that Minnesota would probably be the opponent that has the least amount of bad taste in their mouth when it comes to LAFC. You know, if we lose to Nashville, I think that that would be uh, not a big motivating factor if we have to play them again two or three weeks later, like it's going to be one of those things where, Hey, we lost and it might, it might creep in the doubt any kind of match against the galaxy. While I would love to see Darby's, you also open yourself up to, 
the monkey that still looms on the back and us being looked at as the younger brother. And, you know, in the event that anything were to happen and we were to play poorly in that match and lose, like we would not hear the end of it for a long time. And that would, you know, but not to say that I'd be fearful of it. It's just, but it like, if we're looking for like path of ease and, and like who like, yeah, give me the easy team first. I'll take Minnesota and Portland, the way we won in Portland, this is the second time Portland in two years has seen another team win a piece of hardware, right? They lost to New York City last year in the MLS Cup. They saw us win the Supporters' Shield this past weekend, so this is the second year in a row. I think Portland's kind of upset about that. So I would say, you know, if I had my pick, I would pick Minnesota first as the ease into the playoff picture. But, you know, if I'm all, if I'm looking for the most fun and the most enjoyable experience, I would say uh, the Galaxy all day. I think it'd be Minnesota. I think they have injuries. The run of form hasn't been great. I think they were fourth, looming on third, not more than a month ago. And now they're on the brink of not even making the playoffs. So I'd rather have the wounded animal as the first opponent to get our confidence up and get into the next round. If that was my preference. I want Carson. I want Carson. I want to beat him at the bank. I want to beat him handily. I want to be the one to send them packing. I know there's fear and I get it, you know, if Carson were to knock us out of the playoffs, that would be brutal. It would even up the all-time playoff series versus the two teams, and that would be an earth-shattering blow to the black and gold community. Agreed. But I want Carson. I want to beat him. I want to be the one to end their season. I want to do it handily. I want to do it at the bank in front of our fans, and I want to send them packing. If they lost in the first round, I would be joyous. And and happy to take on whoever they played. But the thrill of being able to send Carson home, I want to beat them. I want to beat them. And if they're in the post and we're in the post, I want to face them in the post and I want to beat them. I don't ever want to back down from a challenge. Fear is the mind killer, right? You got to rise above it. I, I want to say that we took out Carson. That's my two cents on it. But I would have to agree, Minnesota is probably the easiest team of all of those to face. Nashville scares me. Uh, they have some really good attacking prowess. Uh, we know they have the best defender in the league in Walker Zimmerman. Nashville's a scary team. Obviously, we're Supporters Shield champs. Everybody's got to come to us. They got to play in our beautiful, perfect pitch in our wonderful stadium in front of our amazing fans. So it's advantage us versus anyone that comes into the bank. But I want Carson. Portland, however, beating Portland once again would add a little extra something for me and for many other people out there. And, and in moving on, I wanted to touch real quickly on the Yates report that came out this week as it centers around Merritt Paulson, who is the current owner of the Portland Timbers. Uh, he is also the owner of the Portland Thorns. And for those of you who have been completely oblivious to what's been going on in the world of NWSL and what exactly this means in the world of MLS, a report came out this week by former U.S. District Attorney Yates that investigated some accusations and some evidence around abuse, uh, both verbal, physical, and sexual in nature that happened in the NWSL. And the findings were pretty intense. Uh, the findings found that conclusively, verbal, emotional, and sexual misconduct had absolutely taken place. And with regards to Portland, not only did they fail to report and fail to act while this was happening, they actually actively interfered 
with both the reporting then and the current investigation going on. The direct quote says the Portland Thorns interfered with our access to relevant witnesses and raised curious legal arguments in an attempt to impede the use of relevant documents, which is just absolutely mind boggling that here in this current world, when you have obvious accusations, this graphic in nature, that Merritt Paulson would act in the manner that he has. Now, he has chosen as of today to step down from the leadership of the NWSL, but he is still just as involved as an owner of the Portland Timbers as you would expect. And this is a person who not only covered up and failed to act on these allegations initially, but was the mastermind behind actively attempting to suppress an investigation and information. And it just absolutely blows my mind that this person is still an owner of a franchise and has not been forced out. And along those lines, I would love, 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 love to be able to send Portland home packing. And hopefully, and I know their fans are certainly not behind Paulson, you know, 99% of the Portland Timbers fans are just as incensed by these allegations as anyone else. But it's pretty startling, the information that has come out in the past 24 hours. For that reason alone, I would love to send Portland packing. Gentlemen, do you have any comments on the investigation and the report that came out yesterday before we move on? You know, it's just, uh, it's unfortunate we've known that there's been stuff going on in Portland all season long. I remember when we had Sam on back in March, we were talking about just Portland and how the, the fan base is unhappy and, and how it's influencing the players. And, and uh, so it's just, it's, it's, this is probably not the end of it. You know, once this report has been digested and analyzed, you're going to see a lot of probably backlash and you're going to continue to see support for uh, wanting to see more changes in Portland. So it's, uh, you know, just just a series of events that we're just going to continue to see and not the perception I'm sure that the MLS wants to give off right now and, and the way that they are handling this. I, I assume there's legal clauses to ownership in both leagues um, and being part of these committees. So I hope, even though it's been a lengthy process, that um, all the details come out or at least all the details are enforced and hopefully if really is doing everything that it, he seems to be doing he is forced to sell or has to take some sort of significantly diminished role as part of the you know soccer football community in portland and in the united states so i'm with the sentiment of portland and the rest of the country that a person shouldn't be allowed to have ownership of something that is so near and dear to all of our hearts if he is going to behave in this manner. Obviously, as, as Angelinos, we've seen this in our backyard with the Clippers, and I, I hope we have similar action taking place. This is just heinous and disgusting stuff that took place. And, and it's one thing to have it happen under your watch and then come out after the fact and say, look, you know, we made a mistake. We're going to try and be better. You know, we're going to fire these people or whatever. But to actively suppress an investigation once you know that you're in the wrong, to me, just speaks to the heart and character of the people behind this. And I find the whole thing just reprehensible. And I sincerely hope for all soccer fans, men's, women's, doesn't matter anywhere in the world that uh, this person is removed from ownership. Speaking of ownership, though, moving on. It was determined this past week that LAFC's owners currently owned the most valuable franchise in the entire MLS, rated at just over $900 million. Couldn't, couldn't give us a billion, guys? Come on, just give us a bill. All right. LAFC 
the number one most valuable franchise still in the MLS. Galaxy moved up from third place to second place. They're valued at a little over 860. Atlanta United dropping down to third place. So guys, what do you think about LAFC being the most valuable MLS franchise? I'm not surprised. Obviously, state-of-the-art stadium, the location, and then the types of investments, and I think uh, the the type of player acquisition and then resale, even though we haven't made as much money as we want, plus the desirability, the demand for wanting to be part of the ownership group. I think all of that, I assume, is part of the valuation. So I'm not surprised. And it's probably one of the best, most well-run teams in the league, and it speaks volumes to what we've been able to do as um, a franchise as a club and also the support you see i mean there's always full stands um because it feels good to be there and it's it's also beautiful football so i'm not surprised that everything lafc is involved in we're towards the top and here we're fortunate enough to be the most valuable it just speaks to the leadership that we've had and the ownership. It's nice to be on top. It's nice to be one of those clubs that's that's recognized for this manner. You know, when you look at the spending power and the amount that LAFC invests and reinvests in itself and the facilities, this is why we're valued at what we are. And, you know, you look at the top 10, right? Inter-Miami is sitting in at 10th for with 585. You know, I, I bet you that LAFC is worth what two of the lower teams are worth and you know, it, it, it might be one of those things where, like, you look at uh, the Austrian league, right, and RB Leipzig is one of those teams where it's, like, worth so much more than the whole entire league, and I wonder if it's going to end up being one of those types of situations where, you know, you have those leagues where there's, like, the top three teams that are worth significantly more than the rest of the league, and it could end up trending that way if things continue especially at the pace at which LAFC has been around Atlanta also, right? Atlanta rounding out the top three, all three of the clubs are worth over 850 million. Whereas the next club is Seattle and they're 725. And it's like, so there is, there is a significant jump from third to fourth. And so, you know, you just wonder if these three clubs or if there is going to be a, a very high peak for the top teams in, in terms of value in the next 10 years. I think a lot of that's tied into facilities. I think the bank, being owned by LAFC has a lot to do with their placement. I think Atlanta United's owner owns their stadium as well, too, which has a lot to do with their valuation. I'm curious exactly what places Carson in second place, because I don't believe Carson owns Dignity Health Sports Park. Now, maybe someone in their ownership has something to do with ownership there. It might be an evaluation of the finances behind them. They do own it. They have I think to. AEG owns it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They would have to in order to be second place. That makes sense. So yeah, I think a lot of it is tied into property, but what pushes LAFC over the top location, you know, and the brand as a whole is just, it's a moneymaker. Speaking of making money, we would like to give one final note here in the first portion of our rundown to the really awesome looking Mofasio Memorial futsal court scarf that came out. We'd encourage you all to head over to Instagram, check out the account forever underscore Mo for underscore FC 2022. Check out that sweet scarf, 100% of the proceeds going to the Mofasio Memorial Futsal Court. Please pick one of those up. Uh, You have a chance, I believe, if you order now to still pick it up at the game this weekend or get it shipped to you. Chris, I know you elected to have yours shipped to you. Has yours arrived yet? Do you have that beautiful scarf to show off? I do not have it as of yet. It is in transit as we speak. Bummer. Bummer. I can't wait to get a hands on it. I am I purchased mine. I'm going to be picking it up at the game on Sunday. I'll probably have it with me maybe 
or maybe not on the field with a supporter shield. So we shall see. But it is a beautiful, beautiful scarf. Encourage all of you to go out and buy that scarf. Participate in any of these Mofasio Memorial Futsal Court fundraisers that are out there. You still have time to check out uh, Kate Corka and the LAFC Kings. The 50-50 raffle, uh, 50% of the proceeds going to the winner, 50% of the proceeds going to the Mofasio Memorial Futsal Court. If you are the person closest to guessing the date and time of their child that is upcoming, so that's a great charity out there. D9U still has a bunch of tequila available at flaskfinewines.com. If you want to go out and purchase a bottle of tequila, have something to sip on to celebrate this supporter shield. And some of that money goes to the Mofasio Memorial Futsal Court as well. That about wraps us up for news and notes today. Folks, we are going to take a quick break and be back with today's opponent correspondent, an illustrious opponent correspondent, I must say. Tim Sullivan is going to be joining us. He is the founder of Club and & Country and currently the president of the North American Soccer Reporters. We will be right back with him after this short break. Hello, this is Jordan Harvey, and you're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. All right, Black and Gold family, helping us preview this upcoming match on Decision Day 2022 is none other than our returning opponent correspondent, Tim Sullivan. You remember him from episode 127 when we previewed the match against Nashville in Nashville back in July. For those of you that don't remember, Tim is the founder of Club and Country and the president of the North American Soccer Reporters. You can follow him personally at Sully VTI, that's S-U-L-L-I-V-T-I, and you can follow Club and Country at Club Country USA and at Soccer Reporters for the North American Soccer Reporters. Tim, thank you very much for coming back on to Shoulder to Shoulder. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. You know, let's talk about this decision day. You know, Nashville's currently sitting in fifth place on 47 points, tied with the Galaxy, who also have 47 points, sitting in fourth place, holding that home field advantage postseason match with a current record of 12 wins, 11 draws, 10 losses. Recent run of form in the last four matches over the month of October and September has been one win, two draws, and one loss, with that one loss being this previous weekend against Houston. Talk to us a little bit about the current run of form uh, and where Nashville's sitting. Yeah, I think before uh, Sunday's match, they felt really good about how they were performing and how they were heading towards the end of the season. Obviously, when you uh, lose a home match against one of the worst teams in the Western Conference, you don't feel great about it, especially with the stakes that they had on board at the time. They uh, really cost themselves a great shot at a home game in the playoffs. They really cost themselves a potential shot at at, uh, a third place finish in the Western Conference. So that'll really color their perception a little bit. But I think when you look at how uh, both head coach Gary Smith and uh, defender Dan Lovett's kind of I think they contextualized it. They kind of said, hey, we know this This was not the result we were looking for in this match, but we also understand that it's just uh, one that, that can kind of happen even late in the year. It's not going to cost the team a playoff game. They, they managed to seal their trip to the playoffs earlier in the day uh, thanks to the out-of-town scoreboard. But it is a situation where um, you don't know if these things end up snowballing. They were kind of snowballing at the time that these teams played last time around back in uh, back in the summer. So we'll see. But at this point, I think they feel pretty good about how they're performing lately. Speaking of the last time that LAFC played Nashville, for those of you that can recall, the match was in Nashville July 17th. It ended up being a 2-1 to victory that we saw LAFC score early with Chicho Arango, and then Nashville came back to tie it up just after halftime with the Haney Mukhtar penalty kick off of a Ilya Sanchez 
call in the box for a hold off of a corner. And then uh, ultimately it ended up being uh, the victor goes to spoils to LAFC with Jose Cifuentes chipping in a pinball, as it were, type of goal in at Nashville. Since that time, though, we've seen Nashville significantly increase in terms of the, at that point they were sitting in seventh. And now look at that. They're sitting in trying to get that home match. What is some of those expectations that you have for this weekend's lineup against LAFC? And how do you think it might look different than what it did back in July? Yeah, I think the, the main thing is um, you're actually seeing this team really settle into what its starting lineup is going to be. Um, they've they've run out essentially the same lineup, some different substitutions, and, and possibly a little bit of rotation at a couple positions, uh, namely in central midfield. But for the most part, it's really settled who the starting 11 are. Joe Willis is going to start in goal. CJ Sapong is going to start up top. Um, you mentioned Mukhtar a couple of times for obvious reasons. The guy who's in the running for the MVP is going to start right underneath uh, Sapong. The wingers are another spot along with the central midfield where, where there's a little bit of, of rotation. Um, Jacob Schaffelberg, who is, I believe, new to the team since that match. He's on loan from Toronto FC, has been pretty much an every game starter on the left. He's a left footed guy playing on the left. So he's, um, you know, he's a little bit dangerous offensively, but just just as willing to uh, attack with, via the cross. And then Randall Layal is a really good weapon on the right. Central midfield is it's unpredictable, really. Um, Anibal Godoy and Dax McCarty play a lot when they're healthy. They're not always healthy. Um, Sean Davis, who was New York Red Bulls captain last year, rotates in for one or the other pretty regularly. And the back line is, is set in stone from left to right. Dan Lovitz, um, Dave Romney, Walker Zimmerman, and Shaq Moore. And that's that's I believe Shaq might not have played in that first LAFC LAFC game either. So that would be another change as well. Absolutely, yeah. The Shaq Moore was an addition that joined uh, joined after the match that we had in July. So you know we look at this upcoming weekend and. Houston, who we talked about earlier as the opponent that you guys had, is actually playing the Galaxy this upcoming weekend. The Galaxy are holding that last home match for the first round of playoffs. Who knows at this point, right? Houston has definitely come out and has shown that they are a team that on any right day or any given moment, they could come out and play very well against opponents. So for all we know, they could definitely give the Galaxy a hard time, especially because we know that Houston is out of the playoff scenario. So they could just enjoy being playing spoiler as it were. How do you expect this weekend to play out for Nashville and uh, I guess for the Galaxy, as it were? Yeah, honestly, I don't have a ton of faith in in Nashville to go out and and certainly beat LAFC. A draw is possible, I think, um, as your as your listeners will know. Some rotation is it's not going to be heavy rotation, but there's going to be some rotation with the supporters shield locked up. Um, so I think Nashville is going to come out and, and and play a fairly conservative match. And um, you'll recall last time we talked, I said they're just going to come out guns blazing and and you know play a wide open game, which is not usually what they do. And especially on the road, playing pretty conservatively is regular for them. Um, you know, I, both Nashville and LAFC know that Houston can can very well beat anybody 2-1 on a, on a given day in the past few weeks here. Nashville really does have to hope for, for the Galaxy to lose. Um, I don't, I, again, I don't think Nashville's going to have reasonable expectations of taking all three points in LA. So they they need the Galaxy to, to, to lose, to uh, move into that home playoff position. Um, Dallas, I guess, still technically in, in there if Nashville were to beat LAFC. But again, I don't expect that to happen. So I do think Nashville, unfortunately, um, with the egg that they laid on Sunday night, is has probably played themselves out of a home playoff match. But I think there's, there's also an argument that um, they felt better earlier in the year playing spoiler away from home than they did playing at home, playing at Jodas Park. They really came around at home um, well after the LAFC trip to Nashville. But uh, there, there's a certain element of us against the world that they really seem to embrace when they go on the road. And 
uh, unfortunately, it seems like they're probably going to have to embrace that as they go into the postseason. Well, let's be honest. I really am hopeful that in the event, either way that this plays out, Nashville is going to have to play the Galaxy. And I'm thinking that there's going to be a lot of fans that are going to be rooting probably against Nashville because they're looking to try and have another El Trafico in the postseason, I would assume. But I really do. I personally want to hope to see Nashville play again because I don't want to see the Galaxy any at anywhere in the postseason. Yeah, no, no and, success at all. Yeah. Right. No success at all. Just getting just getting run out of the first round. So I'm looking forward to this match because I think that this could potentially be a precursor to what we'll see on LAFC's very first postseason match coming in the second round in the hopes that Nashville plays their first match against the Galaxy and wins. So, you know, either way, I'm looking forward to this match because I think that it will be a good way to see what we have coming on the horizon. Yeah, I, I think Nashville, it's so weird that these clubs have played um, only a couple times now um, coming up because Nashville's been in the league for three years. Obviously, there have been weird, you know, conference switches um, the past couple of years for Nashville. But I think Nashville fans are really excited about not necessarily a rivalry, but like a friendly rivalry and getting to know people from LAFC and getting to know fans from LAFC. Um, when when LAFC fans were in Nashville, people had a really good time with them. And I know a number of people from Nashville are going out to, to return the favor a little bit, return the hospitality. And it, it should be interesting to see. And I, yeah, I think it would be awesome to, to make a, a second trip out there. I know it probably wouldn't be great for a lot of people's wallets, but it is definitely something that I think Nashville fans would probably like to go back to LAFC for the playoffs. Well, hopefully you'll be able to make it out, if not this weekend, uh, in two weeks, hopefully, right? <laughs> a little bit of foreshadowing and, and, and wishful thinking. Let's shift gears real fast. Talk about, you know, Haney Mukhtar. He's on an amazing season so far in 2022. Um, and give us your reasoning as to why he deserves to be the MLS MVP. Yeah, I think one reason is, is that in the press box the other night, uh, Nashville SC gave us a really cool pressed record <laughs> with play-by-play with, uh, -play from all of his goals this year, which is a really cool idea for them to send out as their... Uh, their media gift slash bribe so that's, so that's one reason but I think the biggest thing is his his goal scoring is obviously not matched in the league he's two goals ahead of uh, uh, Sebastian Driussi from Austin FC on 23 while Driussi's on 21 right now um, Hani's also well ahead on on assists if I recall correctly and he's uh, the most important player for his team there's no question about that he has the uh, the proportion of Nashville scoring that he's responsible for is so great um, obviously, some of that is because Drew, Drew UC's team is is much more well-rounded than Nashville, specifically in attack. But the importance that he plays to this team, and I think one way to look at it is if you took anybody in the MVP race off of their team, how much worse would the team be? And I think there's no question that Mukhtar is, is probably head and shoulders among a lot of that group because he is so important to the way this team plays, allows them to play the type of game that they want to play. And, uh, you know, if you don't have Hani Mukhtar, you, you just can't play the way that they've played for pretty much the last three years. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week uh, as we look to preview this upcoming match. Thank you again to our opponent correspondent, Tim Sullivan. Again, you can follow him at SullyVT, which is S-U-L-L-I-V-T-I. And he, again, is the founder of the Club and Country, uh, which is at Club Country USA, and the current president of the North American Soccer Reporters, which they can be followed at Soccer Reporters. Again, Tim, thank you very much, and we will hopefully see you in a couple weeks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Hey, this is Travis Helwig from Crooked Media, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. All right, gentlemen, 
We have just heard from Tim Sullivan, our opponent correspondent. He's got us all prepared for this game against Nashville coming up Sunday, October 9th at the bank, 2 p.m. It's going to be on Australia TV and KCOP 13 locally. For any of you who can't make it out to the bank, this may or may not be the last regular season game in which you get to enjoy the dulcet tones of the legendary Max Bredos, the work of Jordan Harvey and Mark Rogandino and so many of those other people. So if you are watching the game, be sure to give a shout out to those gentlemen who we love and adore here in the black and gold community and beseech Apple TV desperately. Please make sure we have our broadcast team back for next season. That is still up in the air. I know it's getting very emotional for some of the folks in the LAFC production team. And if we have to say goodbye to Max, I'm going to be very disappointed in that. But tangents aside, let's talk about some football. Boys, what do you think is going to happen in this game versus Nashville? 3-0. I think uh, Gareth Theo Bale. Well, hold on. You got you to gotta back that up with, with just a little bit more in the prediction. Why do you think we're going to storm them 3-0? I think we're going to score one early. Uh, wait, who did I say was scoring? I, I know Theo. You said Bale. You said Bale. I said Bale twice. Bale, I think. And Gareth. Bale, right Theo, yeah. and then Bale again. So Bale's going to get a brace. No, 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 no. I meant Boanga. Boanga's going to score early. I think he's going to demoralize him. And then I think Theo and Gareth are going to score later on. So I, I think Nashville is going to be overwhelmed. I think it's going to be a joyful. I think it's going to be this kind of overwhelming atmosphere where. Nashville, after I think 15, 20 minutes of being intense, they're not going to be able to to sustain their efforts, and we're going to win. Uh, I think that it's going to be a little closer than that. I think that you're going to see Nashville looking to try and not fall down farther into the um, playoff standings. I think that they would like to have a home match. So, you know, they got to win to get a home match. And so I think that they're going to come out and they're going to give us a fight. I do think that LAFC is going to either have a tie or a win in this scenario. I think that it'll it, more than likely I'm feeling a two, one victory from LAFC. I think that Carlos Vela is going to net a penalty at some point in this match. Uh, I think we're going to see a goal from Haney Mukhtar from Nashville. And uh, I think that the other goal will come from uh, Chicho Rongo. And I think that we, it, it'll be a lot of fun too, to see Haney Mukhtar. I, I didn't, you know, we didn't get to see a chance to see Haney Mukhtar when we went to go and play in Nashville back in July and this, you know, being the potential MLS MVP this season, it'll be interesting to see him uh, in, in all of his form, especially because this will be the first time Nashville makes a trip to Los Angeles. You know, Nashville was in part of the East up until this season. So, you know, we never really got a chance to play him, especially with all the COVID restrictions on playing teams from other conferences. So um, it'll be a lot of fun to welcome the guests from Nashville for the first time to LA. Nashville have a lot to play for. They have a lot to play for. They have the goal differential versus the Galaxy. They are tied in goal differential versus Dallas. So if Dallas loses, now I know they're playing Sporting Kansas City, who's a terrible team, but Sporting Kansas City's won two in a row and have looked pretty good since their season was over. Playing spoiler, they've been having a lot of fun with that, and, and they've looked pretty good in their last couple games. So I wouldn't just go looking past Sporting Kansas City just because they're out of it. I'm sure they would love to knock over Dallas on their way out of the season, right? So if Dallas loses, and let's say Carson win as well too, Nashville having the tiebreaker on Carson, assuming Carson don't catch up the five-goal differential between the two. So if Nashville wins and Carson win, Carson would have to best the goal differential by five goals to step ahead. Nashville could find themselves in third place the end of decision day. That's big for them. Not only is that a home game, that's a home game against the sixth seed. As it sits right now, they're going on the road 
to play the four seed. That is massive difference, right? Not only is there a massive revenue difference in having a home game versus having an away game for the team to be pushing their coach and their player personnel to try and have them up for this. That is a a huge difference in advantage for them if they want to try and make it to a Western Conference semifinal or final. They are going to have to try and play their way up the table. I think it's entirely possible that Dallas lose to Sporting Kansas City as well. They've played the last two weeks. So really, Nashville is trying to play for a home game or even potentially third seed. That is a lot that they are going to be fighting for. What is LAFC playing for in this game? Nothing. Coach of the year. The words of a man that I know. I I, I still think even even if we lose to Nashville, Dolo is still my coach of the year. There's absolutely no reason for LAFC to do anything but go out and get some exercise in this match. The score is irrelevant. Whatever happens in this game, it doesn't matter. It's not going to change our playoff scenario. It's not going to change our perception of the season. The only thing that could happen is, sure, there'll be a bunch of people that, you know, will will point to a a loss and say, oh, well, LAFC's stumbling going into the playoffs, right? But there's the other side of that coin in that now that LAFC have nothing to play for and they're just going to go out there and have fun, that there's no pressure on LAFC and they could run Nashville completely off the pitch. And in which case, Christian, I could see your 3-0 scoreline being a reality as LAFC get to go out there and just have fun and and maybe just having fun means everything clicks and, you know, Bowanga gets a goal and Bale gets a goal and everything's happy sunshine and rainbows. To me, the only thing I care about in this game is nobody getting hurt. I don't care about anything else in this game other than red cards and no one getting hurt. Those and, people, yellow, and yellow card accumulations, right? Yellow card accumulations. Oh, I don't think... Do yellow card accumulations carry over into the postseason? I don't know if yellow cards do, but I know red cards do, so don't get rid of Red cards do, but I am not sure on the yellow card accumulation, but I'm with you there, right? Stay out of the book and stay off the trainer's table. If they do those two things, I don't care what the scoreline is in this game. We're going to celebrate a shield before and after the game. It's going to be a party at the bank. The game is just sort of a sideshow to the festivities. So I don't think LAFC are going to play particularly hard. I don't think they're going to get stuck in on challenges. I don't think they're going to physically push themselves to a point where they could get hurt. And I think that gives Nashville an edge. And so with nothing to play for, you could argue, and and I will agree that there's an argument that with nothing to play for, LAFC could just come out free-flowing and and destroy it. But I think what's more likely is you're going to see Nashville playing for their playoff hopes and lives, and you're going to see an LAFC team that is not really morally invested in this game whatsoever. And I would not be surprised if Henny Mukhtar goes out there and scores two, three goals. Maybe Walker gets a goal on a set piece, and they win this game. And even if we lose, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Look, I, I think that we're not going to play for a while. So I think the game's going to be taken seriously. And, you know, Trunel said that. And the way that Melo spoke, I think he also is going to take this game seriously. So if those two people who are the leaders of the, of the, the squad are going to take it seriously, and there are players that want more minutes when we get into the playoffs, I think there's more at stake internally in terms of motivation then we're giving him credit for at least you are so that's this is why i think it's going to be a more intense game and a more intense approach that that you think and i think the atmosphere uh because we want it i think there's gonna be less pressure or less anxiety in the stands and uh, it's going to be positive for the players that's that's the other piece of the argument i wanted to make sure i conveyed i do think that we're going to see a lot more of Gareth Bale and Christian Teo and that this is going to be an opportunity for them to really, you know, play 
the majority of a match 60 70 maybe even a full 90 because I'm sure that Steve Chirundolo would like to see what it is that these players have to offer going into the postseason. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if we see, you know, a large amount of Gareth Bale and Teo uh, in this match upcoming. I think Gareth Bale, this is one of the most significant games for him. This is his last chance to prove going into the postseason that he deserves to be in that starting 11. You know, Chirundolo was very clear that he knows what his starting 11 looks like, and that's the starting 11 we've been playing, right? Which means Bowanga, Arango, Vela up top, and Bale on the bench, Teo on the bench for this game, and they're going to treat it like a playoff game, and that's how they're going to prepare for the playoffs. You're playing against a team that's fighting for their lives. What a perfect opportunity to see how this team performs against it. So I, I do agree. I, I think it's going to be our first team. And then if the game gets out of control in either direction, then you're going to see, you know, the bench get emptied into this game. And then the minutes become very important for Gareth Bale and, and Teo as they're attempting to prove exactly and cement their spot in this roster. So to me, Gareth Bale has everything to play for in this game. Teo has everything to play for in this game. But I really don't think there's much else that needs to be proven in this match other than we can be healthy for 90 minutes. But any final thoughts on this upcoming? Oh, I didn't give a prediction. I'm going to say 2-2 two, two draw, just because that's that's where my heart's going on this one. A any final thoughts, gentlemen, before we wrap up the show? Nope, just excited to see everybody back at the bank for the last home game of the regular season. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's always nice to celebrate raising some silverware. And, uh, yo, what's up with the ISC, man? Dropping the ball, not making sure. Because there's supposed to be two trophies, right? What's up with ha not having one of the trophies, especially after Philadelphia lost? What's up with them not sending it to Portland, bro, in case LAFC had won so they could lift the trophy in the day of the match, man? Talk to I me. Think, I think they do that if it's a decision day. Like, if it comes down to decision day and two teams could win it, I think they have it ready at either stadium. But because there was still another week in the season, I do know that the Shield is going to be brought to the bank. I do know that the shield will be at the bank. It is not in LAFC's hands yet. It will not be in LAFC's hands until game day. It will be presented to the 3252 by the supporters of, I think it's New England that currently own it. So a member of the New England Revolution supporters will be there with the shield at the bank in order to turn that shield over to what I assume will be Casey and Su Jin, our president and vice president, just like last time we won the shield when Casey and rest in peace Mo had that beautiful moment where they were awarded the shield and got to carry it out and show it to the supporters and show it to the team. I think that pump and circumstance and tradition and right of the shield being passed on from the club that is surrendering it to the supporters of the club that has earned it. Uh, I think in order to protect all of that, it's going to happen here. Personally, I didn't have a say in it because I don't run the ISC. But if I had a say in it, I would have voted for it to go down exactly as it's going to go down. I want that shield to be presented to the 3252 in front of the bank, in our house, with our team and our supporters and our fans and everyone there to see it happen. If it had happened in Portland, I mean, I know there was a celebration in the locker room. Some champagne got splashed around. That's fantastic. But the awarding of the trophy that is created by supporters, I think that that should happen in front of our supporters. And and if what I'm speculating turns out to be true and all of that takes place at the bank, 
then I'm going to be very excited to see that entire ceremony take place. And, you know, as a member of the 3252 council, if I get to be involved in any way, I would be humbled and honored by that privilege to take part in this. I'm really excited about all of that happening at the bank, but uh, we shall see. Christian, unless you had any final thoughts on the day or, or on this upcoming match? No, we got to enjoy each one of these home matches. So this is the first of the next five is what I'm predicting. I, I agree. And I think we need to win an MLS Cup this year. We need to make it to the MLS Cup. We need to win the West. All of those things still need to happen this season. But folks, on Sunday, let's take one day, one game, a game that is inconsequential in the course of this season to celebrate what we've accomplished this year, to celebrate a supporter shield, to do it with our friends, our family, our, the family that is the black and gold. Let's have a celebration of all things LAFC this weekend. We hope to see every single one of you out at the bank. I will be on the lane early and then going in for some pregame stuff. So if not, I hope to catch all of you. It's an early game. So I would imagine there's going to be a, a, a post party. I may or may not be uh, bringing some D9U tequila to celebrate this Supporters Shield after the match. So if you find me, there there may not be a little sip of D9U tequila available for you if you are there, because I have been saving this for a trophy to celebrate. And we got ourselves a trophy. I'm ready to celebrate. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing all of you out there at the bank. Folks, we would like to thank Tim Sullivan for joining us as our opponent correspondent this week. He is the founder of Club and & Country and the president of the North American Soccer Reporters. Please give them a follow at Club Country USA and at Soccer Reporters. On behalf of myself, Jonathan, Chris, Christian, our sound engineer, Wilton, we would like to thank you all for listening to episode 137 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, your 2022 Supporter Shield Champions Podcast. Take us home, Sticks. Shoulder to shoulder, together this our culture, from the force of a supernova, stay flying that FC dorsum, hey, shopping down to Nikki's, Koreatown Liddy, keep us so mommy about to drop her fifth. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.